For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana, and I'm joined by Kervin. Another week of global news means another episode with all the intelligence and insights that you crave. I don't know if you crave it, but we're going to give it to you anyways. Some people do. (laughs) First, I wanted to talk a little bit about this month's insightful inquiries with a good friend of the podcast, Rick Alonzo, a.k.a. Ricky Nomics. Do you have a clip that you want to share? Yeah, and so Rick, I mean, Rick's a good guy. He's such a good guy. Unfortunately for him, he's now part of the family. <laughs> so we got you, Rick. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I love these conversations with people that we actually, you know, converse with on a regular basis. It's so much easier. <laughs> yeah, there's already a rapport built. And yeah. there's not that, not necessarily awkwardness, but just, you know, staying on your toes to make sure everything's perfect. You don't want to come off a certain way. But we know we can joke around with Rick. Yeah. So that that wasn't there. <laughs> and there is, a, you know, an initial awkwardness for sure. Um, between within, you and with, Rick? No, not between me and Rick. I'm talking about oh. people that I've never well, interacted with. You know, you've got to warm up. That's the same for yeah. everyone, you know. It's not. But it's not. He wasn't just on because he's a good friend and part of the family. Um, I think he brings a like much needed insight from Latin America. Right. Um, you know, the insight I don't have, but he is Colombian. Colombian. And uh, he's got extensive experience in that country. That was almost embarrassing. Almost, but not enough to take it out. (laughs) Not enough to take it out. Just keep it in there. I appreciate the effort. I'm sure Rick does too. (laughs) Yes, he will appreciate it. I will say you do not want to miss this episode. There's a ton of insights into Latin America. And here is just a sample of what to expect about him deciding to join the U.S. Army. After I finished my uh, bachelor's degree from St. John's, I'm like, I'm still going in. And when becoming an intelligence analyst, you have to, uh, I, I didn't know this at the time, but I had to destroy my Colombian passport in front of an investigator. And they were like, really? Like, they were really on top of me. They're like, yeah, you got to put more holes in it. We need to see. They want to see, like, I don't know what, they, what they're, like, I know what they're trying to, what kind of response they're trying to elicit out of me, but like my loyalty to be in the army, to be able to be a part of that organization that my family always loved the army. And I, it was an honor to be able to do that time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, he told us that story in New York city too. That's wild. I mean, it makes sense because they want to make sure that your allegiance is with the United States army and you're not some secret spy for Columbia. (laughs) Right. And, and spoiler alert, they never took his citizenship. Yeah. Well, are we allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. We talk about it on the podcast a little okay, bit. Okay, okay. Listen in and and listen about to that. Well, good. I'm glad they didn't because he clearly. I mean, you can love both countries, people. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Anyways, let's get started, Kervin. What is on your radar this week? So we're definitely going to talk Russia, Ukraine, 
It's a lot to get into because both of those countries have been going back and forth this week. I do want to get into an update on the crisis in Sudan. A lot of moving parts there. Uh, but we're going to jump over to Iran, who seized another tanker within the Middle East. And then NATO, jump over to the Indo-Pacific, but NATO wants to open an office in Japan. That's a big deal out in the Indo-Pacific. We'll finish up with a topic we're going to talk about from here on out for, for probably a year now, which we're going to talk about Paraguay elections, but all throughout the year we're going to focus on elections across the globe because there are some big ones coming up. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, so what's the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? Well, before we get into, like, the huge big news that's been going on the last couple of days, you know, the stuff regarding the two drones flying over Moscow, I want to briefly discuss what Russia's been doing this week, which... That was a daily barrage of missiles toward various sites in Ukraine. And what was the outcome of those missile strikes? Uh, so the the initial strikes hit uh, Pavlorod, which is a logistics hub near the central city of Dnipro. And then it also hit the capital city of Kiev. I will say Ukrainian air defenses did a good job. They shot down 15 of the 18 cruise missiles that were fired. But the ones that did make it through Ukraine's defenses did end up killing 34 people and then wounding dozens more. Were these um, daily missile attacks due to the future Ukrainian counteroffensive that we've been hearing about for a while now? Since that fall hit? <laughs> yeah, since the fall, really. Um, yeah, and that's my analysis of the situation because both countries have kind of been at a stalemate with each one trying to reconsolidate forces. Because they both have planned offenses, uh, offensives in various Ukrainian locations. So I think it was a preemptive measure by Russia, you know, in bombarding locations with missiles. And it was sort of to demoralize the Ukrainian population and also probably to garner some support within Russia because that's waning right now. So do we know anything more about the Ukrainian counteroffensive, like when it will happen, where it will take place, things like that? I'm, honestly, we know very little. Uh, much of what the press and open source analysts know actually came out in the leaked intelligence documents. But since then, Ukraine has publicly stated they're not going to be discussing the counteroffensive with allies, and they're definitely not going to discuss it with China or Russia. That is a really, really <laughs> smart move because, yeah. you know, you don't want it getting out in the press and then, you know, cluing Russia in where they need to be, you know? Exactly. It baffled me from the beginning why they would discuss their military movements with anyone anyways. Right. And it's a, it's a double-edged sword. So on the one hand, Ukraine is relying on intelligence and information um, from the U.S., which is much more advanced. They have much more advanced intelligence. But also, let's talk about the recent intelligence document leak. And then not to mention the fact that two presidents now, a former president and a current president, have been caught with classified documents outside of secure locations. You know, this has made it a lot more difficult to trust the intelligence community within the U.S. especially. 
I don't think it's the intelligent community that's a problem here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. I know some people will differ on that. Uh, I-, I would agree with you. It's not yeah. really the intelligence community's fault. Slightly fault. biased. Well, slightly. Yeah. Slightly. <laughs> slightly. I do think that right now it is. It's best for everybody to keep tight-lipped about any planned offensives, or better yet, why not just push out conflicting reports so that you can keep the enemy guessing? It, yeah, put out as many as possible from yep. all angles. Definitely, and we saw that strategy used very effectively in September of 2022 because all the media was abuzz about, oh, Ukraine's going to plan this offensive in this one region, and then they actually carried it out in a different region and took Russia by surprise. Okay, but do you think that would work again, though? I mean, it could, but I also think because that worked, Russia is planning for all contingencies, so they don't, because they don't want to be surprised again. Okay, well, that all makes sense, but let's get into the big story of the week. I think this is the big story in geopolitics geopolitics this week. Um, What do you know about the drone attack in Moscow? Was it Ukrainian? Was it a false flag? And what are those implications? Uh, So let's start. So we're going to start with what we call in the intelligence community the known knowns. So here's what we know. The two drones at separate times from separate angles flew over the Kremlin. The Kremlin is a fortified area within Moscow. Both drones were destroyed before significant damage could be caused. That's what we know. Then officially, what don't we know? A lot. Um, As of right now, what we don't know, was it an attack carried out by Ukraine? Was this a false flag? Who benefits from either situation? Hey, 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 hey. It's my job. I'm the one asking questions here. So you're saying we don't know who carried out this attack, although I did read an article before we started recording that Russia is saying that we carried out the attack, the United States, right? Definitely. Russia has accused the United States of being behind the alleged drone attack on the Kremlin. The United States denied any involvement in the attack because that's what they're going to do. And also, (laughs) Ukrainian officials have said that they did not carry out the attack. So it is possible that Russia is simply trying to deflect attention away from its own failures in the war. Um, so it's possible that Russia carried out a false flag attack. It's trying to justify further escalation in the war because we all know this. Russia has a history of using false flag attacks as a pretext for military action. Obviously, right now, we just don't know anything about this. I do understand that there are some great open source accounts that are doing some very good research and they're pointing to it being a false flag. They're almost certain it is. But those accounts mm-hmm. are actually making assumptions that we just don't know. I mean, it makes sense because why hasn't there been a drone flown over the Kremlin up till this point? And right. If there's a place in Russia that's being protected and heavily shielded and guarded, it's the Kremlin. <laughs> right. And up to this point, nobody's flown anything over the Kremlin or, you know, threatened to take out Putin. And now all of a sudden it just happens right now. Yeah, you're exactly right. And there there have I been don't... attacks within Russia, you know, close to the border of Ukraine, carried out yeah. by Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but this is, you know, this is a, a, an attack yeah, with I a just, drone. I just, yeah, it does seem a little sketchy. So yeah. there's a lot of unknowns is what you're yeah. saying. 
And what are those unknowns that um, people are making assumptions about? Some of the stuff we just talked about. Um, but first, I'll hit on a couple things really quick, and then we can move. I don't want to stay on this whole topic for the whole episode because we have other big. We have oh, other okay. huge events. This is this is an entire globe of uh, of events that are going on. So I want to hit conflicts. on those two. Yeah, conflicts. Um, you know, back and forth political power, uh, power uh -huh. grabs, things like that. Uh -huh. But most of the assumptions that people are making revolve, first of all, around the convenience of having video footage released right after the attack. Right. We all know how secretive Russia is, and they don't tend to release like CCTV footage unless it benefits their narratives. But what I will say is this would be a case where it would benefit their narrative. And if they thought it was a Ukrainian drone, they would definitely release that footage, much like, you know, much like they did for that bombing in St. Petersburg when they had immediately released the footage of it. Right, where that blogger or vlogger yep. got killed. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, another thing, another assumption is that a lot of analysts are saying there's no way, you know, just like we talked about, there is no way a Ukrainian drone would get right. through Moscow's air defense system. Right. You know, we're not talking about some small little town in Russia. We're talking about the capital, Moscow, the building that Putin is supposedly in. Yeah. And I do get that. But also, we can't kid ourselves because there are Ukrainian operatives working in Russia, and they could kind of participate in a drone-style attack like this. Uh, it so just I, seems so far out of left field. Like, like yeah. why would they want to escalate it to that point? Why? Because that I, would give Russia, you know, a reason to escalate things further by, you know, threatening nu nuclear bombs now. Exactly. I will say, though, before jumping to conclusions, we right. should all just take a step back. Like I said, assess who benefits the most from this attack. But I'm governed by my emotions. <laughs> <laughs> That's a conversation for a different podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, not really. But before we move on, do you want to give your assessment, though? Before we move so, on. I, um, here's my assessment. I can actually be convinced that any side is correct on the analysis of the situation. Mm -hmm. But... After seeing the video, honestly, um, I highly doubt, just not that it was a Ukrainian drone that, that hit the Kremlin, but I'm at like almost a 1% that it was an assassination attempt on Putin. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's probably underground anyways. What's a drone going to do? Right. But anyways, what what makes you say that? Exactly. Obviously, you have way more knowledge on these things. I'm just going by assumption and, you know, just pulling things out of my <laughs> rear. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, you, it's exactly what you just said. So, so you are, you do understand it probably more than Oh, I'm getting ahead of think. myself. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of my, okay. Because sorry. it was, so I say it because of the style of the drone that was shown in the images um, or in the video footage. 
that drone is going to do very little damage to to the Kremlin. And so it's like two. It was like a drone that was crappy enough that Russia could stand to lose. It's not something that. If it was Russia's, yes, it would. Yeah, if it was, yeah, if it was Russia's, sorry, I. That's what I meant. Was if yes. it was Russia's, if it did turn out to be Russia's, and it was a false flag event, that it was two drones that they could stand to lose that wouldn't affect their whatever their weapons or whatever the hell and, they have. And also something else is if you watch the video, uh-huh. one confusing thing is the the drone, um, you know, the drone is blown up or there's a drone, uh, on top of like the rotunda of the the Kremlin and somebody's climbing up to go get it. And then another drone flies over and gets blown up. Now, that area is so fortified, somebody's going to pick up the pieces of those. And if you're picking up the pieces of it and you're Russia and you want to show that it's Ukraine, this is a Ukrainian drone, give me the pictures. Right. Show me the pictures. Let me see the metadata within those pictures that show that that is exactly what happened. But... To say this was an assassination attempt on Putin is ridiculous. Far reaching. <laughs> he's not. Yeah, he's not chilling in the rotunda at two a.m. <laughs> just for no reason. That makes no right. sense to me. Yeah. Could it be a test run for a bigger attack? Maybe. Um, it's definitely a possibility. But I still, I'm with a lot of people, and I mo- the most likely event was that it was a false flag because. Honestly, Putin needs to drum up support as well as justify launching a massive, like, shock and awe style attack on the capital of Ukraine, Kiev. Now, the fact that they put the blame on the U.S. also would help increase anti-Western sentiment in Russia. So, you know, let's say Putin uses what we were talking about, tactical nukes. His people are going to see that as a justifiable attack instead of a, provo- uh, you know, provocation. Right. Um, and then any response by the U.S. is going to be seen as a provocation in the war. Okay, well, I guess we need to remove our emotions and our assumptions, and we'll just leave it right here. We need to table it until there's more information. Yep. If there is anyone else that has theories or data that compels them to analyze the situation differently, please you know, hit us up and let us know, because we love to hear what you think, what what you think is actually happening right now. Yeah, and, and out-of-the-box theories are actually a good way of narrowing down what really happened. So we can use the analysis of competing hypotheses. Right. Okay. So, like I said, we're shelving Tabled. this right now. Tabled, shelving, whatever. We're just putting it away for now. Let's move on to Sedan. You said there are updates there, and I hope yep. one of the updates is that people are getting rescued from that country. Well, they're are some small recovery operations ongoing. Uh, The United States government says it has uh, evacuated nearly 1,000 Americans since uh, the recent violence began, so that's to include the embassy staff, while a um, a second government convoy has arrived. They asked everybody to go to the port of Sudan if they were still in Sudan and needed to be, uh, you know, extracted from there. So this week... They sent uh, they sent a convoy over to the, por- the port of Sudan, and they're going to start evacuating those people. But, and I don't want to infuriate people even more, the embassy staff that were evacuated actually left without returning passports to people in Sudan who now need a way 
to get out. Oh, gosh. That's, that's dealing a huge blow for any hope of evacuation for some people. This is something that when, when we talk about people traveling, I try to tell them you should have and then you should safeguard a photocopy of your passport when you are traveling overseas. That's in case you lose it or even worse, a situation like this happens. And what, what would a photocopy do? It's not like they can stamp the photocopy and send you on your way. You're right, but when attempting to evacuate in a situation like this, it's a very good document to have to prove who you are, you know, especially if you get it like notarized. You are correct. It's not like somebody's going to let you through custom stamp your, your paper there. Your paper. <laughs> but in this situation, it pieces together who you are. You know, um, it, it tells them why you are in Sudan. You can even have a photocopy of your visa for Sudan. And it can be a vital document in getting you evacuated. And you're, you're trying to get through to a location where you can then attempt to get an official passport replacement. So in a situation like this, you're not trying to get home necessarily. You're just trying to get safe you to a safe location. And then you can start working to get home. Well, first of all, that's a terrible situation, and I understand it's scary and fluid, and people just wanted to get out of there. But to have people's passports still in the embassy and making no effort to maybe, uh, I don't know, get those passports into the hands of the officials that could verify who the remaining people are and get them to safety is just heartbreaking. Yeah. But we need to move on from that situation. Um is the fighting in Sudan still super intense? So there has been a lull in fighting, um, and a ceasefire at the moment is in effect, giving people a chance to get to safety. Seems like a prime time to go to the embassy and get your passports. Well, the embassy is locked. No oh, one's able to get in. Sons of... That's messed up. Sons of anarchy. Sons of um, anarchy. <laughs> So uh, getting to the port of Sudan right now is very key before that fighting starts again. So you do think there's going to be more fighting? Definitely. Um, the ceasefire is only for a few days. Looks like all participants in this conflict are consolidating forces, and they're preparing for another large-scale battle. That is unless you know the UN comes in or other foreign entities, and they can kind of attempt to get a peace deal going. Well, we'll be sure to check back on this topic next week. It'll be there. It certainly has been very busy around the globe and nothing good so far. The next topic isn't going to be any different. Can you explain to me and everyone listening what Iran is thinking seizing yet another tanker? I mean, I have a general idea, (laughs) but... (laughs) Well, I mean, it's to me, it just appears to be a continuation of a pattern of seizures, uh... And then attacks on commercial vessels. And that's been occurring since 2019. Now, for this particular seizing, uh, the Iranian government said it was done on a judicial order following a complaint by a plaintiff. Some vague plaintiff. (laughs) There you go. Very vague. And the lack of details makes it highly likely they're just attempting to... just saying stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's to exert control over the Strait of Hormuz. Because this is so that strait is a choke point for a significant portion of the wor- of the world's oil, you know, crude oil and oil products. So Iran's probably seeking to demonstrate its military capabilities and its willingness to use force to protect its interests. Take that oil. Say that. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it's it's politics is so dumb. It is. Um, now, these recent 
seizures may also be a response to previous actions taken against Iranian vessels, you know, by the U.S., um, such as the one that happened last week. Right. So that could also be what it is. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot, probably a combination of all this thing, all these things, but mostly it's a retaliation against perceived aggressions from other countries. Well, that's a lot to unpack. And as I thought, it's not very fun, especially no. between Iran and the United States. And and that does have geopolitical implications across the globe. We're talking supply chain issues, oil and gas prices going up, all kinds of impacts. <sighs> well, hopefully there's some sort of resolution because recently it seems oil is being used as a chess piece for multiple countries around the world. Yep. So let's talk NATO for a moment. What is the significance of that organization opening an office in Japan? Well, you know, Josh and Jacob are going to love your huffing and puffing after each one of these. What? Wait, what? You're what? just That's done. A random, you are uh, done with the world. I am done with the world. Uh, um, but you asked about NATO and Japan, and it's actually very significant uh, from my analysis, especially with the increasing geopolitical challenges posed by China and Russia in the region. So what this is, it's a new liaison office, which is going to facilitate consultations and discussions between NATO and its security partners in Asia. And those include South Korea, Australia, and our good friends in New Zealand. So it's, it's helping out all those nations. Now, this move does signal NATO's commitment to enhancing its presence in the Indo-Pacific, which is becoming increasingly important, as we've talked about every week in global right. security and geopolitics. Mm -hmm. um, now, the office in Japan is going to focus on practical cooperation in such areas like cyber defense, maritime security, humanitarian and humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, non-proliferation. It it's not like this military establishment. Okay. It's going to be for sort of these practical things. So in your analysis, NATO will be a key player in any aggressive action from China? I think so. Um, it could also be used as a mechanism for China to invade Taiwan. You know, that was much like what Putin said all along whenever he said he was he's not invading Ukraine. He's protecting Russia from NATO. Right. The China could say that NATO is aggressively moving toward its borders, <clears throat> Taiwan being one of those borders, and then make a move toward Taiwan because NATO is not giving, you know, I'm going to use China's words here, respecting the sovereignty of all countries. <laughs> Sorry. I just, okay. That is, that's quite the dilemma. I like how they, they're the ones who determine what sovereignty of all countries means. Right. You know, not. Which is also vague. Yeah. So of course it's vague. And also it leans towards what they, what their bottom line is, which <laughs> is taking these countries back under their rule or whatever. Yeah. No, okay. Anyways. So. <sighs> Does China use NATO's move as a reason to invade Taiwan, or is NATO's move a legitimate catalyst for China's invasion of Taiwan? Like, if your analysis is correct, we are going to find out pretty soon. Which one is true, right? <laughs> you know, which one, which, which angle, which one they're angling for? Yeah. So let's get into the, the election talk. And from this moment forward, there will be a ton of election talk. Because like you stated earlier in the podcast, we have a lot of huge elections coming up in the next year. So let's start with 
you know, Turkey's going to be going to the polls, Russia, the United States, all, yeah. you know, everybody's going to be right. shuffling, moving their chess pieces. Yep. But this week, let's talk about the recent Paraguay elections and how that is changing Latin America. Yeah, so good topic, because Sunday is uh, insightful inquiries will come out. But this past Sunday, the current conservative ruling Colorado party won elections in Paraguay. Um, and it was the, the candidate was Santiago Pena. He was the candidate that won. And he had at the when they had 99 percent of the voting counted, he had a 15 percent lead over his center left opponent, Efrain Alegre. Um, there was a, a third candidate in there as well. Um, that was Ed. So the center left opponent was about 25% and the right wing opponent which was the third candidate was about 23%. Um but this this win is seen as a relief for Taiwan. A uh, much needed victory for Taiwan in Latin America since uh, Santiago Peña pledged to defend Paraguay's diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And it's significant given China's economic push and its campaign to lure Taiwan's diplomatic allies to actually switch recognition from Taiwan to Beijing. Now, the the opposition candidate that we talked about had in, indicated his preference was to switch diplomatic ties to China to gain access to that country's... they To give China access to that country's um, soy and beef farmers markets. Um, and those are the main drivers of its exports and economy in Paraguay. Now, even with the huge win from the conservative from the Colorado party there is going to be pressure inside the country to shift allegiance um that's going to keep rising especially from that agricultural lobby why is that well uh Paraguay has a large fiscal de deficit much like the United States yeah I was about to say <laughs> sounds that, familiar <laughs> right and it needs to shrink um and, and we I mean, we talk about this daily. We all know money talks. Now, as I always do, I once again caution any dealings with China for economic improvement because most of its plans, like that Belt and Road Initiative, they actually puts countries in debt over time. Yeah, in debt to China. Right. And they, they know what they're doing. China Correct. does. Yeah. So are there any protests about these results? Like, that seems to be a theme everywhere around the world. Yeah, astute observation there. Um, somebody's been watching the news. I will say both the right wing. I've been listening <laughs> to this week explained, and that's okay? the only that's place you should get news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but both the uh, right wing candidate we spoke about, Paraguayo Cubas, uh, like I said, he won twenty three percent of the vote, um, and then the center left candidate urged their supporters to protest for a recount and an international audit of the computer yeah. programs used in electronic ballot boxes. And there you go again. Just not happy with the world. Like ev every election is just going to be questioned from here on out everywhere, it yep. seems like. So is there going to be a recount or is this pretty much a done deal? I mean, we're not talking about 100 votes here. It's a significant victory for the Colorado Party. I do think that these calls for protests are doing more harm than good. What really needs to happen is everyone get together, you know, for the good of the people of Paraguay, because the economy, as we talked about, is not good. And right. having to use resources to secure regions in that country is only going to do more harm to the economy. I'm not saying 
hey, as an American, I do not tell people, don't make your voice heard. You should. You should be right. making your voice heard. You should be saying, you know, what you think the government should do. But a recount in this situation is just not justifiable. Mm-hmm. It's time to get to work. And I'm talking the U.S. as well, okay? Yeah. It's time to get to work and get the economy back up and running. So after this lovely, yes. uplifting episode, do you have anything else you'd like to discuss? I I do really quickly, and I hate to do it at the end of the podcast um, because it, it it is very important to us. But I did want to let everybody know that our appearance on the Screen Echo podcast is out right now, if you haven't listened to it. It's organized chaos. Yes, we we both listen to it. I'm not yes. going to speak for you. I'll let you speak on, on what you think. Okay. Um, but you already told me your opinion, yeah. but I'll let you, you say what yours. I thought it was an incredible episode. It was fun. Yeah, lots of fun. Um, Josh and Jacob, I, they did a wonderful job piecing it together. Like you said, organized chaos. <laughs> I, I don't know how they made that a coherent podcast me neither but it was really fun definitely to do. we'll have to we'll have to watch another spy movie and and see how that goes get with them again i but, i mean we already watched the other born the second born which was a little bit better but i would still need to rewatch it because i kind of putzed on my phone a whole lot i got yeah. distracted best thing to do during a movie okay who cares okay, so but if you haven't but if Bring you haven't listened yet, look in the show notes, click on the link to the episode. You're not going to be disappointed. Now, after saying that, we are out of time this week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you for listening to our humble, independent geopolitical podcast. If you found it informative and engaging, please go to where you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review because those can help us be noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. If you have any suggestions or feedback for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.